Thanks for listening to the Secular Hubcast, a podcast made possible through a grant from the American Humanist Association. This show is a project of the Secular Hub, a Denver nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting community, altruism, reason, and education across the diverse secular community of the Front Range region. For more information and to become a member, visit secularhub.org. Hello and welcome to the Secular Hubcast. I'm your host, Paul Schilling. Today I'll be speaking with Chris Shelton. He is a podcaster and critical thinker at large. We're going to go over our, uh, the second edition of Moral Landscaping. So that's Moral Landscaping Part 2. And here, in addition to me sort of furthering my ideas of a moral foundation... I get some pushback from Chris, which is uh, incredibly helpful in clarifying uh, my position and the understanding that I'm trying to build about what morality is and how we can use a moral foundation to better our lives and to use a moral foundation in our lives to make decisions to make it easier to navigate what Sam Harris calls the moral landscape. So without further ado, I bring you Christopher Shelton. So just introduce yourself real quick just so we get that audio. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Chris Shelton, uh, podcaster, author, former Scientology whack and <laughs> critical now, thinker at large. Critical thinker at large, yeah. yeah uh, cult expert and... Um, just trying to help make the world a better place. <laughs> and publish on the Sensibly Speaking podcast, correct? Yes. My, my okay. podcast is Sensibly Speaking. Um, Comes out Sensibly twice Speaking a week, podcast. is that right? Once a week. Once a on week. On Saturdays. Okay. And then every week I do a Q&A show. Right. And I answer viewer questions that they've sent to me, mostly about Scientology, but lately it's been far-ranging. You know, last sure. week I, on the, I did a live podcast and... Um, Talked about God, talked about religious belief, talked about Scientology, talked about all kinds of things. So, um, so you'd so there isn't. A, I'm not a. I'm not a one note wonder anymore. <laughs> sure, you're branching out. Yes, that's very fantastic. Much so. Very much so. Um, I just wanted to make sure we got that plug in. Yep. Um, so. It- I invited you here because, uh, as with the last guest that we had for this particular topic, we're going to do what I'm calling moral landscaping, um, kind of a play on words based off of Sam Harris's book. But this isn't the ideas in here aren't just from that book, or you know, they're they're kind of from all over the place because I've had to sort of change the way I think about morality based on um, a few conversations I've had you, with you, being some of them, um, other people also, and then some other podcasts that I've listened to and some other ideas that I've sort of tried to incorporate. So. Right. I wanted to throw this at you. So this is sort of what I would call the foundation of it, right? Mm -hmm. The foundation of this moral landscaping. And the idea here is that I build a moral framework that I can actually utilize in my worldview so I can apply it to my life and the way that I look at the world and think about the world. Um, But also I can solve any problems that I run into, morally speaking. So this allows for that framework. So this is meant to be... 
a practical framework and not just a theoretical sort of yeah let's actually let's actually plug in some of our potential issues or moral dilemmas or conundrums or whatever and let's let's see if we can utilize this foundation and this uh, moral landscaping to sort of come out on the other side in a place where we're comfortable with what we decided so we can actually make some moral decisions and not have to worry as much or maybe we do it'll depend right on how well the foundation is built and and what the buy-in is on the premises, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm trying to do with you is build this foundation and see is there buy-in on the premise. Excellent. I look forward to hearing what you have to say. Sounds like an idea. So, okay, a couple of things to keep in mind. So um, initially, I'm going to talk about sort of the foundational elements of morality. And I want to get into – there's two – basic elements that I want to take into account. Mm -hmm. And I don't think we have a ton of disagreement on these elements, Mm -hmm. um, but maybe a little bit on one of them. So I do think that it seems, or I do think that there is an objective element to morality, although morality isn't like all or nothing objective or subjective. I'm going to hybridize the two. Mm-hmm. Because I think, and I think you would agree with this, mm-hmm. um, the objective world informs our morality. It tells us what is a good deed or a bad deed based on its outcome. The harm that you're doing in the world is an objective fact. It's either objectively factual that you've harmed a person or that you have not. And that is the objective element of morality that I'm trying to bring into this framework. Okay. What do you think about that? I think it's problematic. Um, and the reason why, and I and and I will, th- this will be from a high philosophy level, sure, uh, not from a practical level. From a practical level, yes, you're, you know, you could frame it that way, and from a certain point of view, you could go, yes, there are objective consequences. Meaning, if you define objective as um, outside yourself, yes. Um, I don't define objective that way, so maybe that might be the issue. Sure. Um, because um, I look at objective as outside everybody's view, like independent of any individual or group point of view. Well, that would be the way that I'm talking about the objective harm. So if you beat somebody, uh, you can objectively, independent of anybody's particular view, say, okay, here's how much blood they bled, here's how much pain they uh, you know, felt, mm-hmm. here's the damage that we caused, and any uh, person in the world or group of people can independently verify that objectively. Uh, yes, but the, co- but the assignment of value to what you did is subjective. So, yes, objectively speaking, anybody could look at the bruises you inflicted and say, yes, there is a bruise there. That is definitely not a matter of opinion. Yes, there is X number of drops of blood or quarts of blood or whatever. That sure. is certainly not an opinion. That is, that is in the realm where we are talking about objective facts. When we say it caused harm, we start getting into the realm with that word harm of subjective experience. Just so that we're clear, the objective side of it, no other qualms about it. There is an objective reality that informs our morality. Informs because it, we can say yeah. that these people, 10 for 10, feel pain. Uh, objectively, it's true that they are in pain. If you hit people, they feel pain. Ten, you know, if you line up 10 people, 10 people are going to say, no, that hurt. Now, the subjective yes. element to it 
is potentially one out of those 10 people might say, but I kind of dug it, right? Like, I, I like that, right? That's my thing. For instance, there, there are examples of where our understanding of those objective facts have molded our moral framework. So there was a time when women were considered not human in the same way that men were. Chattel and so property. They, yeah, so yeah. they were subjugated. Our Ethic. biological science and evolutionary biology has basically made that an impossible position to support. You may believe it still, but you're irrational in doing so based on the evidence. So objective reality informs our morality. Now let's talk about the subjective element of morality. Okay. So a lot of people, if say if trying to prop up this idea that morality is subjective, they'll basically cite ancient societies. They'll say, well, for that time in that place, that was moral, according to them. Because I don't think that it's reasonable to say, well, the ancient Greeks practiced slavery and pederasty, and that was moral for them at that time, because their society said so. Mm -hmm. To me, that says that we can't say that the Greeks were immoral for having slaves well, it all depends on clarifying from what point of view you're saying that it's immoral. I would certainly agree in this time and place with where we have come to that slavery is absolutely, without any question whatsoever, immoral. Right. The question of whether the Greeks having slaves is immoral from our point of view right now is unquestionably, of course, it was immoral. It was immoral now, it's immoral then, but it's immoral. Yeah. If you, but if you pose a different question, if you pose the question of did the Greeks think it was immoral, you have to then put yourself into a different headspace because you're looking at a different place, time, and culture. I think, I think it gets, when we stress that difference too uh, rigorously, it leads to an idea that we can't judge the, their actions as immoral. And I think what we're losing in that perspective, saying, well, I'm going to put myself in the head of the slave owner in Greece or the person that is committing child rape or whatever, mm -hmm. um, it's not up to that person's headspace to determine what is or isn't moral. It's up to the subject of their immoral action. So what about the headspace of the slave? What about the headspace of the person being raped? That's the space that I'm saying we're going to focus the subjective morality on. And that's what I'm trying to put to people. It's that morality does have a subjective element to it, but societies don't make things moral just because a lot of people agree that a, th a certain action is moral, and individuals don't make their actions moral. And if we're not taking into account the, the testimony of the slave— then in what way are we talking about morality? To Fair the enough. Well, to, to, to bring this down to a rubber-meets-the-road example that I think is going to immediately show up the weakness in your argument, Okay. I will point to any child, anytime, anywhere being disciplined by said child's parent. Sure. The child wants the candy, damn it! I want the candy! Right. You know, and the parent's like, no, you can't have the candy, man. You've already had five pieces of candy. You're going to get sick to your stomach. And we've already done this. We've already proven this is true last year, you know, at Halloween. So here we are again. And here you are. You want to eat all the candy in one go. And I'm going to stop you from doing that because I know as, a, as an adult in the room that that is just not the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to get sick, right? Mm -hmm. I don't want you to be sick. 
Yeah, neither do you. So, exactly. So clearly it's a moral act, you know, from pretty much anybody's So how know, does that derail the idea that the Be- subject is somebody we need to take into because account? Because the child is going to radically disagree with that parent disciplining them, enforcing that on them, telling them they can't have the candy. Because from the child's point of view, mm-hmm. it's their candy. They went and got it. Sure. It's my in my booty from the trick or treating, right? How mm-hmm. dare you? I remember what it's like to be a kid with candy, right? And the mom comes and takes your candy, and you're like, "Hey, you're stealing my candy," you know. But does that mean we shouldn't take into account what the child wants? I mean, does uh, that no, mean we should? You, you said it's determined it by the subject of the action, though. Not just taking into account. What, what I understood you to say is that that's this is the point of view from which we will decide whether an act is moral or immoral. And if and I'm pointing well, out that in this in in every instance of this, yeah, that doesn't work because well, it we know from has the, to be taken into account you know. at some point, though, right? I mean, but that doesn't dis that doesn't discount a, a full-grown slave, for instance, and what they would want for their life. Oh, no, not at all. But I'm just pointing up an example where you gave a very broad sure. rule of thumb that we're going to judge the morality of any action based on the recipient's point of view well, of said just action. To be, just, I take your point, though. There would be certain instances, for instance, a, a, a very young child, right, mm-hmm. who doesn't understand that if I eat 20 chocolate bars, I'm going to get very sick. But that's how the objective element of morality informs us. We objectively know that if you eat 20 Snickers bars, you're probably going to get sick. The child doesn't objectively recognize that Mm -hmm. and has a subjective desire for said Snickers bars, Mm -hmm. right? And so, I mean, to me, this is just a, a great example of how to use both subjective and objective. Now, granted, I take your point. That the subject may not be taken into account in some sense, but you're still, with this example, you're still talking about somebody violently, potentially, like a two-year-old, right, Um, disagreeing with your decision to not let them eat a chocolate bar. Right. So from the child's point of view, you stealing his candy, his Halloween candy, let's say, is an immoral act. Sure. You know, there's no question about it. Sure. You know, you say, hey, is it right or wrong that, you know, that mommy did that? It was wrong. I want my candy. You know, like, obviously. Sure, you could get that. Yeah. Absolutely, you could. Mm-hmm. And there are many layers of arguments as to why the child's wrong. You know, I mean, it's not fully developed yet. That, though, right? speaks Parents... to the subjective element of morality. Well, that there it's is all going about to the be. subjective. Yeah, because it's the parent versus the child. And you have two minds at work there. Mm-hmm. One of those minds, we... Well, just all. to be clear, it's not all about the subjective. There is an objective fact that this child's going to get sick. Okay. Or the parent could have an arbitrary rule that, you know, the child may only eat five pieces of candy at a time. And the parent himself or herself might not even understand where that rule came from. It's how they were raised. Sure. But and in so that that's sense, the rule. it's not moral. Yeah. It doesn't have a moral uh, weighing. It's just arbitrary, like you said. Well, it's arbitrary, but it is also it also is a moral point. It's a it's well, a parent deciding wholly subjectively an arbitrary amount of how much candy the kid can have. Sure. Uh, the point I'm trying to make though is if you if you distinguish something as arbitrary, I I would say that you're now taking it out of this moral framework because oh. if it's arbitrary, then it doesn't have any reason why yes or no. If you say the person doesn't even know why, 
then they're not making a moral decision. They don't know what they're doing. They're just saying it's five because I say so. That's another elemental aspect of this morality. So let's mm. let's hit that real quick, okay? Because okay. that, that leads us right to it. Mm-hmm. So uh, here's where I think that S- Sam Harris got it right in the moral landscape, mm-hmm. that morality is basically measured up against a continuum. And on one side of the continuum, you've got pain, suffering, you know, unnecessary sense of loss, depression, whatever, bad things for people. So not human flourishing, right? Human whatever, mm-hmm. pain, suffering. On the other side, you've got, you know, happiness, satisfaction, human flourishing, um, you know, an overall good feeling, mm-hmm. right? Or, or the betterment of humanity. If we're not talking about how our decisions move us along that continuum, then we're probably not talking about a moral decision. And I think that that's one way to sort of parse out these ideas, so in the, in the case of your candy, right, mm-hmm. we recognize that if you eat too much candy, you'll get sick. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you eat just the right amount of candy, you'll probably be fine, <laughs> right? Um, and if you don't eat any candy, you, you might not be feeling as good as you could have, right? But if you just arbitrarily pick an amount of candy and you're not weighing whether or not it's going to cause pain or suffering or whether it's going to increase pleasure then in what way are you determining anything moral? And maybe candy isn't the best way to uh, well, you're highlight talking, this, but... Well, morality is... Morality, first off, let's be clear that we're talking about decisions of right and wrong, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so anything that falls under the purview of is this right or is this wrong in terms of behavior... Sure. ...falls under a moral question. Sure. There's some as- there's some aspect of morality connected with it. So just because a rule, just because a, a rule of behavior is not understood or its origins are not understood doesn't mean it's not a moral decision or a moral argument. Well, the person that just arbitrarily picks the amount of candy isn't making any moral distinction. They're just saying you can only have five pieces because I said so. Right. And they don't have it. You said they don't understand why or they would or wouldn't. They just said it's just five. However, that's not a moral distinction. There's no moral question there. It's just there's five. There is no reason. All I'm saying is that the reason doesn't have to be known in order for it to be a moral equation. Well, you might understand the morality of what they're saying, but yeah. they don't, is my point. And yeah. so they're not making a moral de- uh, decision. They're not engaging in this framework, in this moral framework. Well, they're not necessarily engaging in your moral framework, but they are still making decisions about behavior. Well, not so, every decision about behavior is a moral one either. No, but a right or wrong, is it right to, you know, I mean, I don't know, we'll just belabor the shit out of this analogy, but, um, you know, is it right for a child to have six pieces of candy at one sitting? Absolutely not. Why not? Because they can only have five. But that's not a reason. That's a circular argument that has no basis in any kind of objectivity. I didn't say it was a high quality moral argument. I'm just saying it is an argument. I guess. I don't know how you would prop it up. Well, people behave that that according to those kind of principles 24-7. We are surrounded by people who operate on that level of morality. So we have to acknowledge it exists. Well, hold on. Here's what I want to say to that. Yeah. 
I'm not going to argue that people don't think they're moral. I'm not going to argue that people don't act immorally. And I'm not going to argue that people don't think that whatever Bible verse they're clinging on to means that their words are moral. Okay. But unless they're actually engaging in the betterment or the making worse off of human beings and human culture, maybe one person, a child, or maybe a whole group of people, right? Then they're not engaging in morality. They think they are. And I'm not going to argue that they don't think oh, they are. I, I don't know that that is but really a very... we have great examples of this in masturbation. We well, have great at, examples yeah, of this I mean, in marriage for the gays. Yeah, I was, I was just thinking. LGBT, not moral right? arguments according to the way that they're being posed by the religious. So but the religious they, feel that those are moral arguments. And I'm not arguing that they don't feel that. But I'm saying they're not engaging in a moral argument. This is the problem I have with morality by fiat, right? This is the problem oh. I have with somebody saying it's not moral because God said so. Unless you're showing harm or the betterment of a society, you're not talking about a moral argument. You're not talking about a moral decision. If but, you if you take masturbation as the example, right? I, I hate I hate coming across as a defender of all the bad people here, but no, Christians ahead. definitely believe that because God said so. That I never is said what that defines, they didn't. No, no, I know, but you're dismissing it out of hand as well. That's just not a moral argument. It's not. That's not what any of them are going to say, and that's I'm, a majority I, of the Earth's I'll, population. I'll so. say it again. I'm not going to say, I'm not trying to say that they don't think it's a moral argument. Okay. I'm not trying to okay. say that they uh, don't think they're engaging morally. All right. But if you're talking about masturbation, yeah, you're not talking about a moral anything. There is no moral right or wrong to it in the sense that they're trying to say there is. Because here's what they say. They say, you can't masturbate because you'll go to hell because mm -hmm. God doesn't like it. Mm -hmm. Well, there is no hell. And there is no God, and we can't show it to be true. What we can show is that masturbation causes similar feelings to making love. Not quite as good, obviously, not quite as heightened, but it gives you a little quick serotonin boost. If you're feeling a little low, you can go crack one off, and you might feel a little bit better. Mm -hmm. That's what we can say about masturbation. They don't... It, to me, if you're not engaged in the objective reality of the world, this is the objective component, then you're not engaging... In morality, you have to be able to show how it hurts or helps humanity or humans or individuals. By just saying it is because I say so, that is not morality. That is not a moral argument. And I agree with you that they think it is. But you don't think it is, do you? I, I do think it is. Why do you think it is? Because of the reasons that I've explained. Because I'll... they think it is? Yes, uh, but also because really? it's but, but also because um, <laughs> um, because it's a it's a decision a, a morality is a is a code of, of rules or guidelines or whatever and these are adopted guidelines or invented or created guidelines or rules or agreements about how behavior should be so that it will be in the value category of good behavior or it'll be in the value category of bad behavior. Anything that, as far as my understanding of all this goes, um, anything that falls in that realm, you know, the subjective assignment of value of good or bad to any act or thing, we're talking about morality. That's okay. my and understanding that's, of it. That's where we disagree. Okay. I'm pushing back against that idea because to me that now props up this idea that you can have a moral claim uh, based by, on fiat. Like 
you can say because I said so or because my God said so without having to show any actual evidential reason in the world. So this morality by fiat is exactly what one of the reasons why I'm trying to push against this and create a foundation where we can weed out the things that we don't need to deal with because it has no objective basis. This is great because it also highlights how the objective element of morality keeps us honest. It keeps us focused on what is or isn't actually moral. If we cannot show harm or flourishing in the world objectively, then we are not talking about a moral issue. And so when somebody comes to you and says, you can't listen to Led Zeppelin because it's the devil and you'll go to hell, you could just disregard that using Hitchens Razor because why would you take that seriously? Even though they think it's a moral claim and a moral statement, you don't have to take it seriously because they can't show any evidence that what they're saying is true. So we're not talking about anything in the real world. Objectively speaking, we can disregard a lot of things that people claim are moral because they just don't have any real foundation in reality. Well, that's an argument that's not going not gonna to go very far because the majority of people on this planet believe in a sky daddy of some kind. And they believe that their morality is um, determined by said well, sky And I daddy. would say they're wrong. So let me carry the thought further because I think the weakness in your position is that there actually is reasoning there. You're just dismissing it out of hand. Well, and let me explain. The reason, though, I'm dismissing it is because they can't show it. They can't demonstrate it. There is no reason in the sense that they have an evidential point. They don't have a Since reason in the same... when has that been the basis of anything people do? <laughs> well, let, let's be clear. Let's be clear. Okay. Let, let's be clear. Yeah. I, I, I feel like you're taking this position and you don't believe this position. You're just taking it to say there are a lot of people that would disagree with me. And no, I'm, I'm not saying there aren't. No, I'm trying to demonstrate a point. Okay. Um, which is that um, the, the, you're dismissing, based on your value judgment, of another person's ethics and moral system and the framework that they base it on, it is a framework. It's a workable framework in that people live their lives according to these principles. There are people who do not drink, who don't take drugs, who don't, you know, who abstain from physically damaging behavior, societally damaging behavior because of this moral framework. Mm -hmm. So, to just discount it because it doesn't have any quote-unquote evidentiary basis as far as you're concerned, dismisses literally like about 80, 90 percent of the moral framework that, this, that the people of this planet believe in. So, so I wouldn't be so quick to dismiss that. That's the point I'm trying to make because it, immediately, because it immediately says that all of these people who have a religious basis for their morality – Ah, they don't know what they're talking about. They're irrational. They're reasonable. Well, that doesn't. That's not. That's not a rubber beats the road practical approach to morality. That is a very ivory tower approach. To the degree that their morality falls in line with humanism and uh, an understanding of evidential morality or the objective elements of morality, and then the subjective element of morality, I would say they are moral, and I would uh, I would I would work with them. Now, see. 
this is this is a good point to bring up. So mm-hmm. just because if you take on this foundation that I'm proposing as your foundation, uh, this is now to the listener or whoever, if you're doing that, that doesn't mean, for instance, that you can just disregard somebody as immoral because they're Hindu or because they're, they're uh, you know, Muslim, or because mm-hmm. they're Christian, you still, and this is this is a hard learned uh, fact of of what I've had to deal with in my life, and I think other people too that put moral issues to people and ask them. You still have to deal with individuals individually. An individual may have an immoral position and have exactly your worldview according to them. So I've put it to many people who believe in epistemology and the scientific worldview and methodological naturalism and so on, and they still hold immoral positions on, say, capital punishment, right? But any Christian or any Muslim or any whatever that you come across, you're still going to have to go through the hard work of asking them, well, what do you think? And what do you believe? And what's moral to you? And so on. It and, isn't it isn't a catch-all. But what I am going to say is that anybody that says it's moral because my God said so, that is not a moral position. That doesn't have any grounds in reality. And if you're going to prop up why you think, for instance, certain people should be should have their rights taken away because they're the people that God said aren't good enough or whatever, then you are not only propping up an immoral proposition based on your God just because God said so without any evidence or any reason whatsoever, but you're now going against humanism. You're now saying certain people can't have rights based on that. So it's clearly immoral what you're saying. Well, from your point of view, it is, not from theirs. Well, no, from the people whose rights they're taking away. Let's be clear. I'm not saying that other people are immoral full stop because I say so. I'm saying take into account the subjects. You've got a whole gay population. No, what you said before was they don't have a moral. They have no. That is not a moral question. You literally dismissed the entire question. No, I dismissed the foundation of why they're saying it's moral. They're saying it's because my God. And that's not right. Of course it is. Why would you dismiss Christianity as an actual worldview unless... Then on what basis are you dismissing anything that they say? If they say because God and you're not dismissing it, then on what basis are you dismissing anything? Because there are other agreements that we've made in our society and in our culture that don't give them the power to carry out what it says to do in Leviticus. And we make a, okay, right? Stone the gays, right? I guess, yeah. We don't, that's a moral position. Homosexuality is wrong. It goes against God's law mm-hmm. as written in the Bible, which is an objective fact. It is written in the Bible. That is an objective reality. Right. That's not an opinion. But just because you, things are written in a book doesn't no, 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 mean they're I'm, right. I'm, I didn't say that they were right. Well, it sounds I, like you're kind of saying that there's some validity because it's written in the Bible. I'm pointing out that you were pointing out objective reality should inform our moral decision-making. Agreed. It is an objective reality that there is a book called the Bible— and in that book, it is written that gays should be stoned. Well, isn't it also an objective reality that lots of books are written about a lot of things? Yes, and we and can point to any many, one of them yes, for any reason? They all inform people's different moralities. So it would, it would be 
it's clear to me that objective reality has many books and we can't just point to one book and say, well, it's because God wrote this book because we don't have any objective reality of that. And, and I would agree with you, but I know that there are a bunch of people who won't. Well, and here's the thing. So, Why are you taking on their position? Why do you I'm care? Try- because I'm trying to show that the word morality and the subject of morality doesn't bend its will to your dismissal of other people's moral values just because you think there's no evidentiary basis for it. If you – I'm trying to get to this place here where okay. – so let me just say this out loud now sure. so I can get it out of the way. If you go talk to a religious scholar – and you talk to them about why is it that, you know, the LGBT community is immoral? What, what's up with that, right? A religious scholar is not going to – somebody who really knows what they're talking about isn't going to just sit down with you and go, well, because God said so. They're going to provide you with a very detailed explanation and argument for why that is, right? Why did God write that? What was God's purpose? I mean, there's all kinds of religious apologetics and interpretation that has occurred over the centuries. Are any of those valid to, arguments? I'm trying to point out that they are... Or sound. They are arguments. I'm not saying that they're sound arguments or that I agree with them. Okay, but, but then the if fact they're that not an sound argument, or valid, then who cares? I can come up with any ridiculous argument... How does that prop up the position that I'm now talking about morality? Because if morality the reason I say it's morality is, isn't sound or valid. Because morality is a wholly subjective experience. So you're going to have to deal with the fact that other people are going to have different ideas about this. And uh, they are going to be... I'm not saying people don't have different ideas about it. I'm not saying, as I said earlier, and I'll say it again, that people aren't immoral. That they don't hold up their moral positions as moral, even though they're not. Mm -hmm. That they don't think they're moral, or that they don't think that what they're doing is moral, or whatever. Well, my my position is that I'm trying to think of, you know, when you present a moral system, it's something that I'm assuming is going in the direction of, and maybe this is an unwarranted assumption on my part, Hmm. that you're moving in the direction of trying to apply this moral framework to the world at large Mm -hmm. and gain broad agreement on said moral framework. You want other people to think this way. What I want to do first and foremost is test it. And I want to test it with real-world situations. Well, I'm giving you lots of real-world situations where some of this breaks down. Mm, I haven't heard one yet, but we'll get there. I wanted to come back and do that. you said morality is determined by the recipient. I point out to you that every child being spanked is going to tell you that's an immoral action. Mm -hmm. That literally contradicts your principle. Well, hold on. I'm saying that morality has a subjective element to it. I'm also saying that morality has an objective element to it. And I think that if we're trying to determine the morality of giving a child a certain amount of chocolates or whatever, Mm -hmm. um, we can plug in this framework. We have now a subjective element to take into account. Mm -hmm. And and as your point, the child's not wanting to – or wanting to have as many chocolates as they want, an objective element to it that a certain amount of chocolates will make a child sick, and then also that that child does not, as demonstrated, have the mental capacity to know when that limit is, and the parent seems to know, as long as they're not just saying it's five because I say so, 
They actually have a reason behind why they're saying, you know, you might want to stick with two and then wait a few hours and then maybe have two, you know, whatever their, whatever their solution is, right? That's an objective element. That's a subjective element. And that is how we come to the moral decision of what is right for the child. Right. So now, then the fact recognizing of... that some children don't know what's right for themselves. They don't know that burners are hot until they put their hand on it and so on. Okay. So does it, is it clearer or does it make more sense what I've said now about the objective element of morality, the subjective element of morality, and that we're talking about a spectrum here from good to bad or from flourishing to non flourishing? Yes. So when we're talking about a moral decision, yeah. we have to take the subject into account. Absolutely. Okay. Yes. But I would agree with that 24-7. In the case of the child, like you said, yeah. there are instances where we would have to take into account more the objective elements of morality. In this case, a child may want and believe that it's immoral to take away the 20 chocolate bars, but objectively, we know that that child's going to get sick. And so we restrict the amount of chocolate that that child can have in order to ensure that they're not going to get sick. Mm -hmm. So your, your example, while making me further sort of hone this idea of what do we take into account when we take into account subjective morality, actually ended up showing us some way, a very good way, how objectively morality is sort of honed and shaped. It's okay. not completely up to the subject some of that depends on the subject exactly exactly it's you know all of this is relative all of it and that's the that's the thing about it that makes it so tricky to talk about because morality is defined by values and values come from people's brains and they're determined by thousands of different factors so it so it's uh so you know creating general broad rules or frameworks for this is <laughs> difficult at best difficult yes you know it's taking me a lot of time to do this yeah but you have to but you have to recognize that that you're dealing with relative frameworks that change over time and location well they change you know? as our objective reality comes becomes more clear to us so like for instance uh, burning fossil fuels was a definite moral benefit um, right up to the point where we realized through objective chemistry that our atmosphere was going to reach a point of no return where the good was going to outweigh the bad. Mm -hmm. Or I'm sorry, the bad was going to outweigh the good. Mm -hmm. So the activity of burning fossil fuels became untenable morally when we learned that the chemistry of the atmosphere was going to change in such a way... As to destroy the species. As to, the yeah, potentially destroy the species and at the very least cause it immense pain and suffering. Exactly. So in, in those types of instances, I mean... And, I, just, and on that basis, I agree completely with your point regarding object, I, I just objective reality informs our morality. I, I, I agree with that completely. The thing I think I worry about or that, that confuses me or that... Uh, causes my sort of red flags to pop up is when, like you said, it's relative. Mm -hmm. Meaning like each individual person can determine their own uh, parameters. Each individual person does in the determine case, their own parameters. Well, we just gave a case of uh, climate change mm -hmm. where each individual person doesn't. The climate is objectively going to change the chemistry of our environment is going to change based on actions we've taken. There is no individual 
spin on that one thing. There are people, I'm not arguing that there aren't, but there are people that don't think that this is going to happen, that this is a, a hoax from China or some other mm-hmm. such nonsense. There's a whole spectrum of arguments from fairly rational to completely irrational. But yeah. the idea that it's going to change is not does not matter whether or not you think it's going to change or I think it's going to change or this other person thinks it's going to change. Well, what matters a, is the science of it. Well, that's true. And the science of it, if we're going to be really honest... So in that sense, it's not relative is all I'm saying. Oh, but it is because okay. we have to acknowledge the fact, and this is all in an ultimate sense, okay? I'm not arguing with you in a practical sense. I agree that climate science is real and that we need to do something about it. I think it's an existential crisis that affects all of us. But I have to acknowledge the fact that they could be wrong. Or they could be wrong about certain important factors of it. Because if you don't acknowledge that, then you're not being intellectually honest about the fact that science is not about truths. It's about probabilities. Right. And there's a probability based on all the information that we have. There's, there are these probabilities as we move forward. And I'm not arguing with those probabilities. Right. But, I'm have, but I have to acknowledge the fact that they are probabilities. They are not certainties. Sure. Operating as though they're certainties and making moral claims about those certainties as though they are certainties could end up in trouble. You could end up in some trouble with that. Because what we claim to have as a certainty, no scientist anywhere in the world who is worth his salt would ever tell you that science gives you truth. Well, or that science gives no, you certainty. It, I, I just don't think it has so to I, be that particular when we're talking about this. I, but I think it is because you when you're have talking to take about into account the guy that says it's a hoax from China. Okay. Don't you? Why would you have to take into account that person's perspective? Don't we have reason to? Because he's a human being who has but it, his own points of view. Isn't he about basically things? the human being who's the child that doesn't understand that twenty chocolate bars are going to make him sick? Possibly. So in that Possibly. sense, yeah. yeah. I mean, if, you dem- yeah. if you're a human being and you demonstrate that you are not qualified to speak on the surgical methodology of taking out a spleen, right? Yeah. Why would we listen to your suggestions on how to take out a spleen? Yeah, no. There wouldn't necessarily be any reason to. That's the point I'm trying to make. Understood. But if you're going to talk about what am I hanging my hat on when it comes to my morality... You know, and you talk about objective realities, you know, these are these are very black and white ideas. And I'm just trying to point out that human behavior and and human knowledge and stuff isn't that black and white. Well, certainly people aren't for sure as smart as they could be or understand everything the way they could or whatever. I'm just proposing that we push for that, that we try to get as educated as possible about the objective world so that we can have a more informed morality and that we don't lose sight of the subjects in our moral dilemmas or our moral propositions. And I agree wholeheartedly So when people that, say yeah. things like, well, what about Greece? They thought it was moral. Um, I would say, well, what about the slaves in Greece? Did they think it was moral? Like, that's the ideas that I'm trying to push with this foundation. Right. All in an effort. To- I'll just point out to you that you're assuming in that argument that you're making right now mm-hmm. that the slaves in Greece didn't like it. Um, no, I'm saying ask them. Right. Yeah. I just want to make sure we're clear on the fact that, you know... I mean, you're, you'd are you be right in, in saying that I assume slaves don't want to be slaves. I mean, right. they are 
held against their will. They're not allowed to do anything they want to do. So yeah, well, slavery's had its ups and downs. But to the degree there have been that they who don't want to be slaves, of cities, so it's kind of like. But to the degree know. to which they don't want to be slaves is the degree to which I would say it was immoral. Fair enough. Sure. Fair enough. Um, and since there's no way for me to ask them, then I do have to make a few assumptions. Right. Right. But it would involve deeper study. But I'm going to you know? definitely hedge, to take your point. I'm going to assume that the slaves didn't want to be slaves, but I'm also going to hedge by saying to the degree to which they didn't want to be slaves is the degree to which I'll say it was immoral. So that accounts for maybe the few that did, or maybe they all did, and I just don't know it. But the degree to which we're doing it against these people's will and, you know, against their rights are the degree to which it's immoral. Let's let's talk about the last and final element. Great. Yeah. Because this brings us right to it. So the, what, a, cool. what a wonderful segue. <laughs> so the idea here is that there are, in fact, um, <clears throat> human rights. That we have yes. agreed upon, not only well, some of us don't agree, but uh, that we do can that we can and should make claim to our human rights. For instance, our right to life, mm-hmm. or for instance, our right to free speech, mm-hmm. or our Bronson's contribution. Good doggy. Yeah, yes. <laughs> doggy um, rights. Yeah, <laughs> or our rights to bodily autonomy. I often think that bodily autonomy is sort of our pay dirt human right, uh, determining what happens to our, ourselves. Um, and then I also generally think of like right to life as being co-equal or very near co-equal, but potentially would lose out to bodily autonomy. Um, and then also a right to free speech, um, which is more of an expressive right. I think it's it's maybe secondary in the sense of like your bodily autonomy or, or your right to life, but it would be a way to help ensure that those rights are maintained. Obviously, I mean, speaking is is the, the one thing we can do before fighting, right? Before physically imposing. Expression. I yeah. Would, I would yeah. say expression. Yeah. 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 So, so um, that, those, I think this moral framework, it sort of works in, I don't know that I'd put these rights as part of the foundation of how to, no, I would, I would put them as part of the foundation, sorry, but I, I don't know exactly how they fit. I don't know if these are like the four pillars of morality. That could be part of it. Sometimes when I think about it, I think of um, separating them out not as pillars, but as d- just different ideas where objective and subjective have their certain elements or need to be taken into account. But then also the, uh, the continuum that I was talking about from good to bad needs to be taken into account. But I think a lot of these ideas of whether or not we're going to determine whether something is objectively bad or subjectively uh, bad is going to be based on these rights, going to be based on whether or not these these actions that we're taking into account would in some way infringe upon these rights. So I wanted to put those to you because I think that that's a huge part of it. I think it's part of why we feel like it's so important to have a moral discussion. You know, human rights tend to be the lowest common denominator of moral thinking. They tend to be the lowest, most broadly, what we consider the most broadly agreed upon, most broadly applicable rules or ideas that we have. That's why we call them human rights. We take the nationality out of it. We take the race out of it. We take the gender out of it. It's just, if you're a human, this is what's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, This is what you're entitled to. Mm-hmm. Again, it's 1,000% purely subjective. 
I don't know that I would go into say that it's wholly subjective. Um, I think I do think I, there I, are objective elements to that. this um, because it's a moral issue. I think that um, I think and I think we agree that there are objective elements to it and subjective. So yeah. I don't know if I would go so far as to say wholly or maybe you misspoke. Or, or what maybe I what I mean by else, that is but... it's all determined by what's going on in our head. The objective reality of a dead body or a live body is simply the objective reality of a dead body or a live body. It doesn't have any moral value connected with it of any kind in the objective world. That's what I'm saying. The value we assign to these things is 1,000% in our heads. The reality of the dead body, that's not an opinion. That's not something we assign value to. You know, it's there. It's a dead body, right? Mm -hmm. What we think about it, how did it arrive here, right? Was it, is it dead for a good reason? Is it dead for a bad reason? All of those questions are answered in our heads, sure. not by objective reality. So I only, I'm only, you know, going that far with, with objective reality informs our morality. Yeah, it informs it to the degree that there is a fact, there is an objective fact. Mm -hmm. What you're going to think about it is going to be wholly up to you or your culture or society. Again, at whatever level we're looking at. And that's where, you know, to me, that's where, that's where the spectrum comes into play. So yeah. uh, whether or not we're furthering uh, happiness uh, and what we would consider like the moral good or whether we're causing unnecessary pain and suffering, to me, that then grounds this idea. I don't say, I wouldn't say, for instance, um, that you determine what's moral in your head. I would say that whether or not the outcome of, of what, what's happening and what, you, what role you have to play in it determines whether or not it's moral or immoral based on have you caused more human suffering or have you caused more human flourishing. To me, that grounds it a little bit so that it's not so, well, it's just up to whomever and whatever. So just some final thoughts. Final thoughts on a mor morality, a uh, foundation of morality, one that we can utilize to take into account moral conundrums and issues. I know that this is, you know, sort of my first stab. This is the first time I've ever done anything like this. Um, but what are your thoughts about it? Is it, uh, is it a useful uh, activity or what, what do you think? I um, I think that it is a useful activity. I think that more people should be engaging in these kind of conversations, and I and I think I, I think all people need to do that for themselves. Really, just sort of pause and think about, you know, what 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 is my morality based on? What is my morality? Period. What do I think morality is? Mm -hmm. Is it something somebody spoon fed to me when I was three out of the Bible, or was it something in Sunday school, or? Is it something that I was told, uh, you know, an avatar of, of, of right. Krishna, uh, you know, this is how I'm supposed to behave, mm -hmm. you know, or is this something that actually, you know, is something that you were consulted about? Right. You know, and uh, and I think just asking those questions is, is a good start. Do you, do you think that the elements that I did provide are a good basis? I mean, is it, do they all, are they all required or can I throw one of them out? Like, are there any superfluous ones here? I, I didn't see that in our conversation. Good. Um, the points you brought up seem to make sense to me. It would be very beneficial and worthwhile to take this framework and apply it to the individual. Mm -hmm. to apply it to their immediate family, surroundings, or society, and then to apply it to society as a whole before making any real decision on the basis of, if you're going to call it moral, you really do need to include everybody 
And so it's a good place to start at the individual because that is part of the whole, right? And that's where most people are going to probably end. And maybe that's why we have some problems, right? Is because most people are like, oh, well, it hurts me, so I don't like it. So that's why it's important not to do it or whatever, right? That's right. But take into account then your family and your immediate surroundings, your neighbors, the folks that are in your life, and then take into account society as a whole or even on a global level, right? Like you may may extrapolate it out to that far, or you probably even should, right? Exactly. I would put it to you and our listener I'm, I'm talking to now, but you also if you'd like um to take these these uh these elements of morality and start plugging in your favorite moral conundrum and see if this helps you navigate through the answer or if it navigates you to an answer that is acceptable morally or if you can find a major blind spot that isn't in this foundation and doesn't take into account your particular conundrum a great example was the one that you brought to me about the child Mm -hmm. right and the parents and the the reality of having to restrict what children say they want and what they demand with what you know to be objectively true about the outcome of those actions, exactly. right? And they don't know because they don't know. <laughs> They're children. That's right. So, so but I think I think the foundation and the, and the elements that I put here handled that pretty well. We didn't get to any kind of conclusion necessarily, but we were able to fit it into the framework and work with it. Um, we, it also, we were working out some kinks, so we weren't necessarily trying to solve that problem. Right. But... Maybe you can bring another one to us, Chris, at another time. I would love to hear some more input on how morally you know, maybe, we could stress this foundation and see how it holds up. Because that's I'm, really going to be the – talk about time. This is not the end-all, be-all here. This is a, a, a project that is in progress. Excellent. Go ahead, though. Well, I was going to say – maybe we can wait till after. I was just – I was thinking that perhaps we should um, – we could also take – Various moral dilemmas that have already been textbook created for, yeah, you know. that's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. for Philosophy 101 classes. Yeah, and, yeah. And sort of take those and break them down against this. So, yeah, yeah. There, there you go. I'll, that, your own personal ones, yep. any kind of moral dilemma. Or I, uh, what it fascinates me would be, uh, like, taking into account now future and past, like we were talking about, and how layered it is, extrapolating bigger to bigger and larger and larger groups, right, to be more and more moral. How, how would those – could we find examples where we could utilize those aspects that are not in this foundation as of yet, right, in application? That would be another fascinating way to take this. Cool. So Check it out. Thank you so much for joining me. I, I had a great time as always. Thanks uh, for having me. Oh, awesome. Thank you, and uh, thank you to our listeners. 